You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, everybody. It is Monday evening. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. Good to be here. Started the day shift today. I'm off the night shift, so forgive me if I'm a little absent. Uh, my uh, my guest tonight is uh, Lindsay Alexander, editorial director of the Reading List, and she joins us via Skype. Lindsay, how you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to jump right into it. We always start these interviews off with the same question, and that question is, where were you born? I was born in Columbus, Ohio. I did not know that. I was also born in Columbus. Yeah. Wow. No way. Yeah. Where, where in Columbus? I have no idea. I moved out of there when I was two. <laughs> okay. And my last, my last guest was also born in Columbus, and so we, we, we also discussed Columbus on my last show, so that's really funny. Wow. wow. A lot of people born in Columbus. That's cool. Um, so uh, did you, how long were you in Columbus there? You, did you grow up in Ohio? Because uh, I know you're in North Carolina yeah. now, so we've got to get from mm-hmm. Columbus to North Carolina. So, I was, uh, I was born in Columbus, and I lived there until I was about 10. Um, my dad uh, was a professor, and so he was teaching there, and then he got uh, another position in Chapel Hill. So we moved here when I was about 10, and it was a really big change. I did not understand the Southern accent at all. I got made fun of horribly my first few weeks of school because I had never heard it. I had no idea what it was, and I thought people were pulling my leg. But I have I have since learned and really come to appreciate <laughs> the, the nuances of Southern dialect and the accent. Yeah, it's a it's a different place, but um, yeah, Columbus man, they've they've changed a lot, but in a lot of good ways. Have you ever had a Jenny Splendid ice cream? I have not. No, man. That's like my favorite thing out of Columbus. It's a, uh, it's delicious. Yeah, like I said, I've I was I was out of there before I could even talk, so I have I have no memory of, yeah. of Columbus. I didn't even yeah, go yeah. to Columbus until I was twenty seven. That was the first time that I and okay. that was like five years ago now. So, um, but uh, but so yeah, so you 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 lived in Ohio until you were ten. Uh, your dad was a professor. Mm-hmm. What what kind of professor was he? Um, he taught psychology and social work. Um, he was also, he had like three jobs. He was a um, career military for 30 years. And separately from that, he taught um, in a university setting. And separately from those two jobs, he also saw patients in a therapy practice. So he was real busy. Wow. Yeah. Did Did your mom work? Yeah, she, um, she was a furniture historian and also a teacher. So she taught furniture history that was like always her, her uh, so, interest so right off the bat you had two you had a professor and a teacher for parents so you must have mm-hmm. been yep. you know up to your ears in books pretty much before you even knew what yeah. books were right oh my gosh yeah my dad threatens me that when he dies i'm gonna inherit his book which uh that's like i don't know it's, it's a big it's like an the, honor and a, a burden at the same time it's like the beauty and the beast only hardback. library yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah. what so what kind of a student were you Um, I was a student who, you know, with two teacher parents, like we definitely valued academic achievement in my house and it was emphasized and my brother became a professor and I've taught at points in my life. I still teach. Um, so I really valued school, but I was definitely the kind of student who, if you put something in front of me that I was really interested in, 
I took it like 10 levels further and took it off in all kinds of different directions. If you put something in front of me that I was not interested in, um, I kind of blew it off. So I was a good student, but I definitely attached. I mean, I think this is the case for most people. I attached a lot more strongly to things that, um, you know, sparked my interest. I assume those things were more English and, and, and uh, not so much math and science type stuff, given your, what your parents yeah, did. Not so much math and science. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think English, like language is my math and I'm not great at math. I, I admire those who are. Um, I wish I was better and I wish I had paid more attention sometimes, but yeah, history. I loved history. I loved English. Um, you know, those who are subjects that I just like, you know, would make up a lot of my own projects. And, and I had, uh, you know, I was lucky to have teachers who were okay with me saying, you know, I don't want to do this assignment this way. Can I do it this other way? And they would say, yeah, sure. We'll give you a shot to do that. Um, so I had, I had really good support that way. Uh, so what was your childhood like then? Like, what were you into outside of school? And, and also, there must have been a real split for you. There must have been your childhood before North Carolina and your childhood after North Carolina, because it was right at the age of 10, which is sort of the halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, my childhood was really good. I, I was, I, I'm lucky still to have parents who, I mean, they support the hell out of me. And they um, were always, they're my dad's motto. And I realized as an adult, this is kind of reverse psychology. But, you know, whenever I would ask them, you know, trying to do this thing that might or might not be okay, you know, they would just say, well, we trust your judgment. We trust your judgment. So mm-hmm. I was really allowed to make a lot of my own decisions. And probably I had less leeway in making those decisions than I, than I thought I did at the time. But I definitely felt like I you know, had the power to choose what was going to be um, a productive choice for me and what wasn't. So, yeah, I mean, I had a great childhood. I, my parents were super supportive. They sent me to, like, different summer camps, and um, I loved horses and horseback riding, so that was something they supported me in. I liked karate. I I didn't want to play softball, so I wanted to play baseball, and they supported me in that completely, so I was the only girl on the baseball league for a number of years and uh they've just always been super behind me it's it's a gift for sure yeah that's pretty active um what was the besides the southern accent what was like the biggest difference between moving from ohio to north carolina and like for you just as a as a student yeah um well the humidity (laughs) but um I mean, besides that, you know, this, I, so I, I, I grew up, um, after the age of 10 in, in Chapel Hill, which is like the very smack dab center of the state, pretty much. It's close to Durham, Raleigh. Um, and in Raleigh, there's a place called the Research Triangle Park, which is like a big kind of tech hub. And IBM has had an office there for a long time. So this area is kind of unique in that, um, there's people from all over the place here. And, um, I really got to make contact with um, not just Southerners, but people from New York, New Jersey, California, other countries, you know, places, points farther south than here. So that was cool because I lived in a a neighborhood in Columbus that was beautiful. I loved it. I could walk to school. Um, But uh, it was, it was like not, I didn't have that same feel. So, you know, and it was, it was a much, um, everything was closer together. So I, I could walk to school, but when I moved here, um, I couldn't do that. We lived in a like a subdivision that had popped up in the middle of a farm. And uh, I would go down the street to wait for the bus in the morning and be looking across the street at a cow. And that cow, we had a cow called Blinky. Huh. And um, we, I would wait for the bus and pick honeysuckles off the bush and, and eat honeysuckles while I waited for the bus, you know, which is, is like not something you do in Columbus. So 
you know, I, I really started to like take in a lot of, um, yeah, I think in the South, well, you can do this in the Midwest for sure. But I think in this particular part of the South, um, you know, farmland and city land are very closely connected and very close together. So you can like my drive home takes me past all kinds of farms and I love it. It's beautiful. So I think I really started to value that balance of like rural and urban or suburban. So, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that you were, you were pretty much interested in, in reading and, and books and writing and things from a pretty early age, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, do you remember the first time you read a book and thought like, Hey, this is, I want to do this or, Hey, I want to, I want to be part of this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't so much reading a book, but I remember there was a book that I loved as a kid by, um, it was a picture book, and this author, illustrator had done a lot of books. Her name was Jan Brett, and she did these like beautiful, intricate picture books where there was so much um, built into the image that you, you were like always discovering something new in it, right? Like every time you opened the book, you would look at the same image and you'd find something else tucked in, like maybe it was like a bunny rabbit or something, it doesn't matter, but they were really complex images and I just loved them. They were so rich. And I wrote her a letter to tell her how much I loved her book. And she wrote me back. And that was when I kind of realized like, wow, I can have a conversation with authors. Like this is not a one-way process. Um, so that was really exciting to me. And I, you know, I loved reading as a kid. My parents, like, you know, I think this was maybe their method to like get their kids to leave them alone for a couple hours, but they would take us to uh, like a bookstore like Saturday night, we went to the bookstore and, you know, they would get their books and go sit in one corner and we would get our books, my brother and I, and go sit in another corner. And um, so that's how we were taught to socialize. Like we, we always took like a huge bag of books on vacation and um, it was just part of our family culture. So, yeah, I mean, I think the first, the first book that like really knocked me down was um, probably when I was like 16 and I read 100 Years of Solitude and Uh um, that just, swept me away completely. I was like, whoa, this is what's possible with fiction. Because I, I really liked what we read in class, but um, I think some of the books you read in high school, I don't know if you had this experience, but some of the books I read, I would like to revisit now because I'm not sure if I was ready for them. You know, like you don't have the emotional vocabulary when you're 13 or 14 or 15 to understand, you know, the kind of like romantic angst. I mean, yeah, you have plenty of romantic angst as a teenager, but you don't totally have the experience in life to understand the nuance and complexity of, of some novels that you're reading at that age. So I don't know. One Hundred Years of Solitude, that was a book that I just, it, it just totally floored me. And that was at 16, you said? Yeah, that was probably about 16. All right. Um, well, so you, you had a very active childhood. You, 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 your parents were supportive of you. You were able to forge your own identity. Um, and uh, you, so tell me about college. Tell me about after high school. Mm, yeah. So, um, so the year after my junior high school, I went to a summer camp, a writing camp in New York. And um, I just, I like totally fell in love. I was like, that's it for me. <laughs> you know, New York was like, I just absolutely fell head over heels in love with the city. And also with a guy who I met there. And um, so my senior year of high school, I was working as a busboy at a restaurant and um, taking all of the money that I made there and funding trips, like monthly trips up to New York to see this guy um, and, uh, and hang out in the city. And uh, I, I loved it. So I decided that I wanted to, that was like my dream. I wanted to move to New York. Um, 
for college, but I I got waitlisted or rejected at every school that I applied to in New York and um, wound up going to UNC, Chapel Hill for a year. And uh, my roommate, the year that I went to UNC, wound up being my best friend from high school who had also been rejected or waitlisted at the school that she wanted to go to. So we were not a very fun bunch. We were not like <laughs> the people who were, you know, arriving on campus, like super happy to be there. And we knew we wanted to leave. So we didn't make a lot of friends. And it, it was like a really crappy year. Um, and a lot of it was for reasons of my own making. Like I had a bad attitude. Um and just couldn't understand, you know, having grown up in the same town, like, why would anybody want to come here? I was really ready to get out. So um, after a year, I transferred up to a community school um, called Sarah Lawrence. That's just like 45 minutes north of New York. And it's like right next to Yonkers. And um, and as a transfer student, like having had the experience of like a large school and knowing that that wasn't quite a fit for me. I was just in heaven. I was like, this is great. This is like the promised land. I have arrived. I'm in the place I want to be. Um, so I loved it. I mean, their system is really different than a lot of schools. You take three classes, three classes only. And then from each of those three classes, you develop what they call um, a conference project, right? So for example, like if you take a literature class and you decide in that literature class, like I am so into Faulkner, he just like lights my vote. Um, you can design your own conference project, kind of like an independent study, where you would then like read all of Faulkner and write a lot about that. Um, and you'd get to meet with your professor about that every week. So um, that was a great fit for me because I was really into self-guided study. It's really like a motivated student. I was like always designing my own projects anyway. So um, it was a really good fit. But I got there. Um, the first day of classes there was September 11th. And so, uh, you know, that um, that first six months of my experience there was def- uh, I mean, six months, like four years, 10 years um, in New York was shaped by, by that in a big way. Um, wow. But I made some really good friends out of that experience. I mean, I think all my friends to this day and my husband, too, um, were students who transferred in. And we all met in that same like week long period of time. And that experience of going through that that nightmare um made us really good good friends who are good friends to each other and treat each other really well yeah that must have been i mean you were just you said you were only what 45 minutes outside of the city so i mean Mm -hmm. that you're you're pretty damn close then i mean could you talk a little bit about that um yeah i mean so i was dating this guy who um we were the same age and he had um he had gone to school outside the city uh, the year before, the same year I was at UNC, and he had gotten um, he gotten expelled. He was back in the city the year that I started um, school up there, and he worked uh, he worked downtown. He worked like a couple blocks from the trade center, and I could not get a hold of him. The phone systems they were totally down that day, so you know everybody I don't know all over the country was trying to reach the people they cared about, and um, so there was no getting through. And I just had a total meltdown, like most people, and. Um, it was a really weird time. Um, you know, they had for a long, I, I did, I've never told my mother this, but she, she would, she would probably fall over, but she, uh, you know, my parents were adamant, like, don't go into the city, like, you know, just stay where you are. Don't go into the city. And the trains didn't run for, I don't know how long, a couple of days, I think. So you couldn't really get into the city anyway, but when she could, um, they had, um, they had barricades, uh, that started, I think it was like 
14th Street and then moving downtown, you know, a few blocks by a few blocks. And um, it was definitely like a post-apocalyptic vibe. And the guy I was dating was just in this kind of phase for months. And I remember in those first few weeks, like sitting in a lawn chair, um, drinking 40s in the middle of 2nd Avenue, you know, like a busy, busy, busy street in New York that had no traffic and it was blocked off. So it was it was shut down and it was strange. And it was stranger still to like walk into Grand Central and a space that had been comfortable and welcoming um, became like a very uh, visibly secured space, you know, so there were like military folks walking around um in a way that like I had never seen before. Um so yeah, it was it was um it was a really strange time to be in New York. Yeah, especially I mean you'd fallen in love with the city, you know, as an adolescent and then after struggling to get there, you finally do and literally the first day this unthinkable event happens mm-hmm. and defines that city yeah. for all coming time. Yeah. So that's yeah. uh that must have been I mean, I can't even imagine it. Uh but um, so Sarah Lawrence, um, how long were you there? I was there for three years. Okay, and then uh, and then after that, what what uh, did you do? Did the new school come right after that, or was it uh, was no, that a little bit after? It didn't. So my senior of school, um, I I don't even remember how I got this, but I got an internship at Simon Schuster, and um, I wound up in their children's book division, which I, I didn't know was actually. I didn't know that was something you could do to work in children's books specifically. It never occurred to me that that was something that was like separate than publishing in general. I didn't know much about publishing. So um, I, uh, I, I came into town. No, I had it over the summer. So I was in town over the summer. Um, I had an apartment with my dear friend and she had an internship and I had an internship and I was in, I was in Rockefeller center. I went from like zero to 60. I was like on, you know, some high floor in Rockefeller center at like the literal like center of the universe, which was ridiculously exciting. And every morning when I'd come in, you'd walk past like the Today Show and the throngs of people and like some famous person on stage like singing or, you know, on TV. Um, and uh, and I learned a ton there. And I knew at the end of the summer going into my senior year, like <laughs> I'm just going to have to like hang out basically and not give up my security pass and just, you know, keep making myself conspicuous there if I wanted to get a job. Um, you know, I, that was, that was like very much on my radar. So, um, I kind of just made work for myself. I don't, I mean, they did know, they did know I was there, but I would kind of just keep going in to the office my senior year and they eventually found some room for me it was it was literally in a broom closet they like cleared out a broom closet and put like a little computer in there and they were like okay sit here like we'll give you something to do every couple days and and um so I started uh just doing whatever they needed to be done and did that all year long and by May I did not have a job and I had applying and I applied to a job there and I got pretty close but didn't get it and um then uh, my my mentor there said, you know, somebody over at HarperCollins is looking for an assistant editor, editorial assistant. Um, are you interested? Yes, of course. So I applied to that job, and um, I had a great interview. Um, I loved this editor. She was terrific. He'd worked on some amazing books um, and didn't get the job. And uh, a couple weeks later, I, I, I had, you know, this thing to understand was like, the very last day of school when you graduate college, like you're, you're graduating, you're like, 
going on to this big, scary other part of your life. And you're also being kicked out of your housing, right? Like I lived in a dorm. So I had to move my stuff out that day. And I was like, I don't have a job. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to just take a risk and move into the city and see what happens. So I did. And I had some savings. So I rented a, I got a sublet in the city. And so I was staying there just fingers crossed that something would work out. And um, HarperCollins called me up and they were like, yeah, we know you didn't get that job with the other editor, but another editor here is looking for for someone. So can you come in? And I did. And um, that was my first job out of school. And I got that job. It was unbelievably serendipitous. I got it like, I don't know, two weeks after graduation. So I was at HarperCollins for five years or so. And um, my very last year there, I was um, in grad school, um, so I applied to the school for an MFA. I, I knew I wanted to stay in the city, so I applied only to places in the city, and that was the one I got into. And they market that program as one that you can do if you're working full-time, so all the classes are at night. And um, so my, my first semester at the new school, I was working full-time and then going to school and getting home at like, you know, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and having to be back at the office in midtown at you know, 8 a.m. the next day. And... It was uh, it was really exciting. It was really brutal, and I kind of knew that I I was like ready to shift to like make that change. And it was it was scary, but I was like committed. So um, so I left my job and um, went to the new school full time for the next year and a half, and I loved it. I have no regrets. Yeah, what a what I I I'll be honest, I'd never heard of that place, but when I looked it up, I, their alumni is like it, it's I mean it's it's elite. You know what I mean? It was it, so that must have been pretty. Uh, pretty cool to uh to to be able to do that full time for a year and a half yeah i mean it was amazing and i i was um i i mean the thing about it the new school like even beyond their faculty or their program you know they host some of the most incredible literary events um of anywhere right so like the national book awards are in the new school auditorium and if you're a student there you get to go to them wow. and watch people walk across the stage that you've been admiring for your whole life. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I remember like, you know, walking past, uh, you know, John Ashbury on the way to the restroom. Like that's an amazing, like I just was totally overwhelmed by that. Living so, the dream. I mean, yeah, it was terrific. I mean, and living in New York is like not a joke. It's expensive. I wasn't making any money. Um, it was, it was, tough in a lot of ways but like the contacts you make and the kind of just being in contact with people who are doing really exciting things is um just super invigorating it was great well i gotta ask throughout all your schooling had you wanted to be an editor or was there some other uh some other career that you were aiming for was it always editing that you were you were uh... yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i um i i was the high school paper editor that was me um, and I really liked that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always kind of been on this, like, I mean, you kind of, for a long time I struggled with like, I should be a writer, but I'm drawn to editing, you know? So, cause I was always like the writer in the family and people tell you that from, from when you're pretty young sometimes. And so I connected to that identity a lot. So when I found that I was really enjoying editing, I thought I was doing something wrong. And even now it's like, oh, I really should be writing or I really should finish the novel in the drawer, that kind of thing. But I just always loved editing. I mean, like I said, language is my math. Like when I put together a good sentence or create a good style sheet for a project I'm copy editing, that feels so good. Everything just clicks into place and there's this beauty. 
to the system that I had never experienced as a writer. You know, as a writer, you know, like you struggle and you work with sentences that feel crappy for ages. And then you have a book that might feel crappy for ages. And being on the editing side, like you get to be a real collaborator with someone um, in, in a way that that to me felt really good. Well, yeah, I com- I completely agree. Like, you, I, th- I love the line "language is my math." I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that if you don't mind, and 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 use that uh, in conversation now because uh, that's a great line. Um, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I gotta take a quick uh, break yeah. here and read a commercial. So when I get back, we're, you're you're done with the new school, and I want to get from the new school to where you're at now at the reading list. So, um, but just mm-hmm. give me one second here. I gotta read a 60 second script for National Credit Card Relief. Uh, if you can't st- if you can't seem to stay ahead of your bills, then this message is for you. How would you like to have a large portion of your credit card debts, medical bills, and department store debt forgiven? National Credit Card Relief would like to give you free information on a proven debt forgiveness program. This program has been used by thousands to legally forgive millions in unsecured debt. It's not bankruptcy. It's not consolidation. This special program actually wipes clean a portion of your debt that is forgiven from what you owe your creditors. Call for free information and get all your questions answered in the first free call. The more you owe, the more you can save. If you have at least ten grand or, or more in credit card bills, this debt forgiveness program can be very effective. Call for free information and find out more now. Uh, the phone number is 800-218-7170. And I'm going to say it like five more times, so if you didn't catch that, hang on. Uh, there is no cost or obligation for the information. Don't wait. Call 800-218-7170. That's 800-218-7170. Get your debt problems solved. Call 800-218-7170 today. National Credit Card Relief. All right. So, Lindsay, uh, uh, you finished up with the reading list. Um, and w- when was this about like, would you, like just to give us a, 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 a sort of a, a time reference, like where, what year did you finish up with the reading list and, and sort of what was your, what were, what were you going through at that point? Sure. Um, so I finished up at the new school in 2009 and um, yet, yet another uh, relationship that, that caused me to move. Uh, I was dating a guy who was in my program and um, I had lived in New York for a while at that point and was starting to feel kind of claustrophobic. Um, and uh, in the sense that like, if you want to get out of the city on a weekend and go see some grass, um, that's a process. And it takes, you know, hours and hours to like get out of the city and get back into the city. And I started to feel kind of trapped in, in a physical sense. Um, and uh, I was just ready for a little change of scenery. So this guy that I had been dating um, and I, we moved from New York out to Santa Cruz, California, um, totally just like through a dark at the board. Um, we moved all the way across the country and landed there with like no friends and nobody we knew and nothing specific to do. And I had started um, freelancing in graduate school. I had been working with a professor of mine who um if I'm remembering, he was asked by Philip Roth to put together Saul Bellow's um, letters. Ah. So I had funded myself through grad school, um, literally transcribing Saul Bellow's handwriting into typewritten letters For that Philip were Roth. Then compiled into this book. Hmm? For Philip Roth, huh? Um, well, he was the teacher was working for Philip Roth. So Philip Roth had gotten access, from what I understand, to this archive and had passed them to this teacher 
and the teacher had passed them to me and a team of other other people, other students um, to type them up. So I had kind of like started freelancing with that project and with some others. Um, you know, like before I left HarperCollins, I kind of put out word to all my friends in publishing and just said, hey, I'm going freelance. Like, please think of me if you would like to fund my poor life as a writer. Um, <laughs> so I started to get some work when I got to California, but it took a long time to get to a place where I knew or could at least trust that something was going to come in the next week or the next month. Um, but Santa Cruz, have you ever been out to Santa Cruz? Uh, I have not. That's near LA though, right? Cause I've been to LA or maybe so it's, it's not. Uh, I don't know. It's north of LA. It's like maybe an hour South of San Francisco. Oh, okay. So that's, it's the other and, California. It's, it's Northern California, Southern California. So this is the, the Northern yeah, California. So no, yeah, I have yeah. not, I have, I have no frame of reference for that area, but okay. I would like to, it, um, it looks lovely. It's cool. It's uh, it's like definitely a big surfing town. And I thought like, I'm going to move out to Santa Cruz and go surfing every day. And I'm telling you, I like never set foot in the water. It's so cold. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, I started to freelance out there. And uh, the guy I was with, he was like finishing his novel and I was still doing some writing. And um, we started teaching writing classes out there. We just kind of like decided that we would start teaching writing and um that's what we did and we started working with some really great writers out there and um we started working with a team of other teachers out there um and we kind of discovered there was a lot of um a lot of interest in writing classes um you know i think there's support if you're like a kid or even like a young adult and you're interested in creative writing there's grad school of course and there's like summer camp but there's not necessarily support for everybody in a lot of communities, you know, like adults who aren't in other kinds of programs. So um, we really enjoyed that. And I spent maybe two years out there and then um, went to Spain for three months um, on a writing residency and traveled around Europe a whole bunch and then um, came back and I lived with my parents because I had not decided where I was going to move my stuff. I just had no clue. And um, me and this guy decided, like, we had been to Chapel Hill for a wedding and decided, like, Chapel Hill seemed like a pretty good place to land. So we wound up coming back here. And I am telling you, I never thought I would move back to Chapel Hill. My parents, they have left. They have gone to Houston. They live there now. So I wasn't coming home to family, but came back here. And, like, the, the town I had really been itching to get out of when I was 18 was suddenly, like, wonderful and comfortable. And it was really um, a very... Uh, comforting experience to like come back to a town that had changed somewhat but i could still run into people that i recognized at the grocery store you know yeah isn't that, that a weird fu- feeling isn't that funny how that works like like i had the same thing when i left uh the town that i grew up in now when i go back i'm like why the hell did i ever want to leave this place this is this is paradise you know <laughs> these people are yeah, all right? well adjusted right? and you know <laughs> so so yeah, that time and perspective changed so much um, so was the the so you you moved back to Chapel Hill um, and and then what did the the reading list come soon after or were we freelancing for a while longer or yeah so I freelanced for a long time and I just had my own web page with my name on it and um, I was working with publishers I was working with individual authors I was working with some nonprofits and businesses um, and uh, freelancing I don't know if you've ever done it but it can be really lonely. And it's very isolating work sometimes. Um, and there's not a lot of, uh, I think this is changing with co-working spaces and with some other initiatives if you live in a town. Um, not so much for people who live in rural areas, but uh, I got to be really lonely, honestly, as a freelancer. And um, and also, you know, 
felt the weight of like a lot of small business owner um, responsibilities that I think anybody who's ever run their own business will be familiar with. Like you're, you're your own invoicing department, you're your own payroll, you're your own contract, you know, like you do all the things yourself. And there's no, um, there's nobody, I, I do have some like professional organization support, which is terrific, but um, I started to miss like working with other people. And I also was getting to a point where I was recognizing like what I knew I didn't know. So, you know, I have, I, I'm an, I'm a generalist as an editor. Like that would be what I would be called as a generalist. I work on nonfiction. I work on fiction. The only kind of books I don't really work on are either medical texts or STEM texts or legal texts. Right. Um, but there are people in my professional network who have deep expertise in topics that I have a very, you know, um, superficial expertise in. And I wanted to kind of start working with them and bringing them into um, an organization where they could feel like they were working on projects they're really excited about. And also getting paid a fair rate. Um, that's something that's been a big challenge in kind of the freelance editing, a lot of, a lot of industries, but definitely in mine. Um, so, yeah, so my, and my husband, not the same guy I had gone to California with, but my husband, the guy I had gone to college with, um, he had moved to Chapel Hill by that time and had become an editor. So um, he and I decided to start the reading list and um, bring on board a team of editors, um, with, with some of whom are like journalists and some of whom are authors and some of whom um, are are like full-time editors, but people who have like a pretty, like a pretty interesting mix of experience, I think, um, and who know things I don't know, you know, so it's really exciting to collaborate with them on a book proposal for an author, for example, who has a background in journalism um, and trying to figure out like what does somebody else would um, emphasize in that proposal versus what I would emphasize. So it's really been energizing to collaborate with people in that way. Uh, so how, how long you started the reading list then you and your husband, I didn't realize that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. how long have you guys been at it then? So we've been at it officially for about a year and a half. We launched officially at the Association of Writers and Writing Programs Conference in D.C. Um, in February of 2017. Yeah. And um, we had been at it together unofficially for like two years before that. So we hadn't like created business cards and a website, but we were operating as the reading list together. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but he's been editing and he got his certification from the University of Chicago. So um, that's been... And he has different expertise than I do. So it's been interesting. It's challenging sometimes to work with your spouse, your partner, but, uh, it's, it's been like a really good fit for us overall, I think. Um, so, so here you are, uh, you're living the dream. Like I said, uh, you're back in your hometown and you got your own business and, um, are you besides the reading list? Do you write it all or have you been published at all? Or it sounds like you, like you said, you, you, you kind of gravitated more towards editing and you were almost kind of like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong by by being more interested in this than the actual writing, but um, do you do you write at all or? So I don't really have a consistent writing practice. Like I will I will you know always have a journal by my bedside, and I'll always have a journal on my desk, and I will write as things kind of come to me, and I'll kind of um, ferret away ideas that I might want to develop down the road, and then maybe I will, maybe I won't. Um, so I always kind of have like an idea cache, you know, like I always kind of throw them away. Um, I've been working on a book since graduate school that I have not completed. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the challenges about being a small business owner and also about being an editor is like you may or may not have the energy or interest to work on your own writing or reading for fun at the end of the day. 
um, you know, you kind of like some days you, you, you read for eight hours on screen and you're like, I'm good, you know? So um, I haven't been called to finish that novel yet. And I think part of that is like recognizing when I started it that I, I don't, I don't think I had the perspective. I don't think I was experienced enough in life to write the book that I wanted to write. Mm. So I've been kind of, I think about it every day and in my head, it's so good, you know, like on paper it comes out <laughs> and it works, awful right? in my head. It's perfect. You know, <laughs> so do you think that David Foster Wallace had that uh, where he was talking about the fidelity to, uh, to perfection? He said, if your fidelity to perfection yeah. is too high, you never do anything. Do you think you have that problem? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a chronic problem if you're an editor. You know, like it is so um, it's really hard to create a messy first draft. I mean, you just want to go right in and like fix it on up. You know, you want it to be perfect, like right out of the gate. Um, you know, so I, I, he always had that quote about like the your your draft or your project that you're passionate about but is, you know, a disaster in the works is like an encephalitic baby. You know, like this fetus <laughs> crawling around with like fluid coming out of its brain and it wakes you up at night and it's sitting on your chest staring at you and like it's this horrible, <laughs> horrific thing. And like I, I definitely understand that. Like it's I, I get that. Um and it's easy I think it's easier because of that to turn away from it and do things where I'm like, okay, like today I can you know, I can work on somebody else's project and I can create a beautiful style sheet for this book and I can give somebody, you know, feedback on a book that I, I stand behind and like have a great conversation with an author about their creative project. But for me, yeah, like that, that impulse to make things perfect from the get go, it makes writing hard for sure. Um, so, uh, could you tell us a bit about, uh, the, the clientele that you've, you've, uh, built up over the years? Like, is there anybody we might've heard of? Mm. So, um, so I work, well, we work with, with publishing companies. So we work with, like, with trade publishers. So, like, HarperCollins and Sam Schuster, like, all the kind of big-name publishers. And then we work with academic publishers. So university presses, that kind of thing. Um, and then I work with some individual authors and businesses and, like, a kind of random assortment of other, other things. Um, I worked a couple years ago with um, Dr. Ruth. Do you remember Dr. Ruth? I do remember Dr. Ruth, yeah. She's like four foot five and hilarious, <laughs> like just an amazing human being. So I worked with her a couple of years ago and that was a really fun, it, I wouldn't say the project was fun, it was actually a really serious project, but she was so gracious and so lovely and she had never met me before in my life and um, she called me up and invited me to her birthday party. I think she was turning, I don't remember, it was like 80 or 85, but she invited me to her birthday party in New York and I was living here and I was so flattered. Like she was just the most, I mean, I think about like how many contacts that woman has had over the course of her career and she's still able to like reach out and offer a genuine thanks and be that gracious. That, it just floored me. So she was a real delight. But um, I don't know, we worked with some really amazing people, both people who are like um, experienced in their field and then people who are just like badasses, honestly. We worked with a couple of like Secret Service agents, and it's always interesting because some people don't think their life stories are going to be interesting to other people at all, and then they start telling you about what they've been through, and you're just like, how can you not find that interesting? Like, you just told me you were being chased down the street with somebody, like, waving a gun, and, you know, like, a hurricane was coming, and an elephant was rampaging. Like, how do you not think that's interesting? <laughs> you got to write so, that down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, is there but, anybody that you yeah, that you like want to work with that you haven't worked with yet? Oh man, um, hmm. that's a good question. 
I mean, not off the top of my head. I mean, we, you know, I've worked with like national book award winners. I've worked with New York times bestsellers. Like I've worked with a really talented group of people and I've always just been, um, prepared enough and lucky enough, you know, the convergence of those two things to have people approach me and say like, are you interested in taking on this project? And it's always an extraordinary honor to do that. So like a couple of years ago, I worked on a book for um, Wayne State University Press that was a compendium of, of writing by Jewish authors. And some of these were authors that I just had admired for ages and ages and ages. And there were like 30 of them all in the same book, which was so exciting. So um, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm always excited for what's coming down the pike, but I can't think of anyone in particular. Like a dream of mine when I was at Harper, I reached out to George Saunders, who I'm obsessed with, and oh, no um, invited him to invited him to write a book for me. Like that's <laughs> something I could do. And um, we had a correspondence for a while, and he graciously said, "Like I kind of wait for the you know spirit of inspiration to catch me. Like I'm not gonna just like write a book for you. Not to mention, you know, of course, like twenty something me was like, hey, come over to Harper Collins, write me a book. Totally like ignorant and and probably for, you know, good reason of like the fact we had a very lucrative contract with his other publisher, oh, you know, so like, yeah. why would he have left? but, um, he was lovely and he said like, thanks, but no thanks. And has gone on to write books that I adore. So I was, yeah. I was going to say, that did, would, did Lincoln, when Lincoln and the Bardo came up, you didn't send him an email saying, Hey, what the hell? You said that <laughs> you were going to, this was yeah, supposed to be mine. No, I, <laughs> I didn't. I, I ate it up, but I, no, I, I didn't send him that email. Um, so uh, okay, well uh, we're uh, we're coming up on uh, the uh, the uh, last quarter of the hour here. So um, the show is called American Winer. So Lindsay Alexander, what do you want to whine about? Ooh, okay. I've had to give this a lot of thought because I'm I'm my husband would probably say otherwise, but like I feel like I'm not great at whining. But um, this is my thing. So we live in Chapel Hill. We live a few miles outside of Chapel Hill, and um, we have chickens, uh, and we have. I don't know, like 15 of them. And I don't know if it's been doing this in Michigan, but like it's been raining like crazy here. And their coop, oh my God, I can't tell you, it smells disgusting. Like it smells, like you think of a barnyard, like this is like 10 times worse. Like this is some funk that gets in your nose and you just can't get it out no matter what you do. Like you could go into your house and like sniff a lavender sachet for like 10 minutes and you still get this funk in your, in your nose. But what they've been doing, even though it hasn't been raining for the last week or so, is like crowding around our front door and just pooping everywhere, like pooping all over the place. Wow. And you can't get rid of the poop unless you hose it down. And every time you open the front door, they bum rush the house. Like they will all run into the house. And my husband freaks out and I freak out. And we had to chase these chickens out and feathers go flying. It's a mess. Well, um, who, who, so, I didn't know you had chickens. Yeah. Who, whose idea What were the chickens? Did they just come with the house or oh was my that? God. <laughs> No, <laughs> although I'm sure this house exists. Um, we've had chickens for like five years, like a rotating cast of chickens. And up until about a month ago, we also had ducks. And um, hmm. and anybody who's ever had, have you ever had chickens? I have not. But it's funny you mentioned this because my parents want to get chickens. So maybe if I'll tell them to listen okay. to this podcast if they, <laughs> for experience or whatever. Yeah, but. I mean, chickens are, they're ridiculous. I hated birds growing up. Like I thought, I, literally there's nothing more terrifying to me than the prospect of being like stuck in an enclosure with an ostrich like that is terror to me um it's a dinosaur that's like my worst nightmare seriously yeah like a dinosaur way worse probably not not gonna happen but like an ostrich that could happen and it scares the hell out of me yeah close so enough i never like birds but um we got these wacky chickens a couple of years ago and like they have totally charmed me like they're they're weird and they're competitive with each other like this pecking order thing not a joke 
Um, but we've, uh, we've had like a, a bunch of them and, you know, some will get eaten or some will, you know, wander off and disappear. We've been pretty lucky for the most part, but all of our ducks got taken by a fox maybe a month ago. And, uh, yeah. And that's a hard feeling. It just feels awful. Like you feel, you've like failed your pets basically. Yeah. Well, uh, so the chickens, do they lay eggs for you? Is it just hens or is there a rooster in there too? Or is it like, you know? Yeah. So we, um, we have a bunch of hens and we have, um, we have a rooster. We've had four roosters at once and that was uh, like four too many roosters. And we were able to catch three <laughs> and, and take them to somebody who wanted them. And the fourth one we couldn't catch. So he's still hanging around. Um, so, and we're usually up before he is in the morning and, um, and, and he's okay. We had one that would chase my mother and my mother-in-law, like hater of mothers, this rooster. Hmm. And, uh, they were petrified of him, but this one's okay so far. But yeah, we get a lot of eggs. Like we have so many eggs, we have eggs coming out of our ears. It's ridiculous. Do you sell the eggs or is it just, do you keep them for your, give them away mm-hmm. to family and stuff? Or? Yeah, we sell them, we give them away. We, oh my God, I don't know. Like if there's some other creative use for an egg that I haven't thought of before, I'm going to find it. <laughs> if you have chickens, you have so many eggs, you're just like, I can't eat any more eggs. Like, what can I do? Can I build a house with these eggs? I don't know. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting topic. That is definitely one we haven't had uh, yet, which is the smell of chickens and uh, chicken behavior. Uh, shitting around your yeah, front door and things. Yeah, I want them to like leave my porch. You know, like I want them to get a life. And like, you know, we have six acres. Like we have a lot, like plenty of yard for them. Um, but uh, they just want to hang out by the front door all the time, every day. Do you think that uh, are you gonna are you gonna keep them much longer, or is the is the smell getting to you, or are you you gonna tough it out? Yeah, I mean, you keep them. You keep. I mean, not everybody keeps them for sure, but we keep them. And um, yeah, you're just. We're just gonna we're just gonna wait it out. Pretty, <laughs> pretty rainy spring, but uh, we're moving into the hot, hot, hot days of summer. So I think I think it's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting. Is there anything just out of curiosity specific? Because I, I actually had I noticed I skipped one question here in my sheet, um, uh, and this could perhaps fit into the whining. Uh, you kind of talked about what you liked about editing. Is there anything that you that about editing that you find? Uh, you know, burdensome or, or just just kind of annoying, like the, the little intricacies. That's usually what people end up talking about when they come on the show is, mm-hmm. is something related to their career that people might not know about. So, yeah, is there yeah, anything? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think at, at, like at its worst, editing kind of feels like social work for words. You know, like you're yeah. like, okay, like this is like here you go, verb. Like this is your department. Like please go see someone there. Like you're gonna be fine. But like <laughs> take this referral and like go over there. You know, or like hey now, like you're looking a little bad here. Like let's, let's get you to the right, the right place. So, um, that's like editing is most tedious. Like it's extremely tedious sometimes. And, um, it's like sitting in front of my screen for hours a day. And so many people do this, like that just kills me. I like to be active. I like to move my body. I like to be up and exercising and out in the world. And so often I feel like I'm kind of changing my computer, um, which is, not at all a unique experience, but, um, you know, like the small business owner side, like I've missed, I can't tell you how many holidays and weekends, um, working. And that's just like, that's the hustle, right? Like that's the work. And that's, I'm, I'm so grateful to have it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of freelancers and a lot of small business owners, like they really panic about like the feast or famine cycles of their work. I've always been lucky to have a lot of it. Um, so, you know, that comes with ups and downs and, you know, my body has definitely paid the price for that. Some years, like I've had horrible 
little pains in my neck and my back, and I've had to take better care of myself. Um, and I actually wound up getting certified as a yoga teacher because um, it was such a good compliment to, um, well, compliment meaning antidote to sitting in front of my computer for ages. So that helps me like get up and move and also helps me work with people in a way that I can have some tangible, like visible result with their practice. You know, like it's exciting to like see somebody move, you know. Um, a lot of people I work with, like they're somewhere else and I've never met them. And um, that too has ups and downs, but sometimes it's really nice to like work with people you can see and talk to, you know, face to face. Well, Lindsay, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. This has been a great interview. Um, uh, yeah. So um, I'm, we're at the top of the hour here, so uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. But, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I will be back, uh, a week from Wednesday, uh, part of the regular scheduled programming and, um, I will see everybody then. So this has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. Thanks for being with us.